Unfortunately, what I see with people, and this is just in general, people in general, and definitely people in the workplace is they don't change until they learn enough that they want to, or it hurts enough that they have to. Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. Hi, it's Mike with the Portage County Safety Council. I'm here with our steering committee member and Ohio BWC representative, Nick Coya. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Hey, Mike. How are you doing today? Good. And we're also here with Kelly from Family and Community Services. Kelly, go ahead and tell everyone what you do at FCS. Hi, thanks, Mike and Nick, for having me. I am Kelly Bako Youngkins, and my, the role that I have at uh, FCS is I am a clinical program supervisor, and currently my main role is to supervise a large school-based mental health program in Chumbo County. So that's awesome, Kelly. We're here to talk about stress. We did a survey with our members and overwhelmingly affects their safety performance. It affects their work performance. They tend to think it affects their coworkers' performance more than theirs, but nonetheless, they still admit it affects theirs. Kind of funny how that happens. And yeah. so almost 60%, 59% of our members say that their employer rarely or never talks to them about stress. And I think it was like a handful percent that says they always do and a little bit sometimes. So we see, man, like almost two thirds of our members never talk to. And I'm sure that's across the board. That's representative probably for most employers. They may talk about safety. They may talk about something occasionally, but they actually come in and talk about stress and how to manage it. It's, it's pretty rare. So we're doing this overcoming stress series, which is why we want to have you on and just give those employers some tools that, and their employees some tools that they can help overcome it. So in this clinical counseling type position that you're in, what do you see every day? What are your clients going through? What are the families going through? What are they dealing with, especially since the pandemic? What's going on in that world? Absolutely. And thanks again for having me on. Talking about stress is definitely something that we we address daily, if not weekly, as the COVID pandemic is impacting our our staff, it's impacting our teachers, our schools, our kids, our families, and obviously employees, because they many of our, our staff are employees also, other than just members of a family. So in general, what we see is we're seeing a much amplified impact of stress. So whenever I answer a question, I like to speak to it generally first and then unpack it. So what you can see from any individual in the impact of stress is you're going to see some changes in some key areas of behavior. You'll see changes in eating, sleeping, mood and attitude, substance use or abuse. You may start to see some changes in their hygiene, how they're taking care of themselves, their outward appearance. And then, of course, their behavior or performance and um, the changes in their behavior or performance differs from each person because stress is unique to the individual. However, stress affects everybody, you know. Right. And so on a global basis, you're going to see those key areas impacted. Yeah, we talked about this yesterday, Nick. There are warning signs, aren't there? There are warning signs. Every active shooter, and it doesn't have to be that extreme, but uh, yeah. drug abuse, if you have someone in your family that went through addiction process, you start to see phases that they go through. Yes. It's, and there's a lot of warning signs. And I think one of the most unfortunate things we all go through is we tend to maybe minimize it or say, well, maybe it's not my place. That's their thing. You know what I mean? I'm not my brother's keeper. They're a grown mm -hmm. man or woman, et cetera. And we kind of back off that, but we see it. And in hindsight, it's 2020. But what could we do to really take action and see from that perspective? What steps could we take to really say, okay, now's the time to step in. Maybe we see... Maybe they're not combing their hair the same way and it's not that mm -hmm. big of a deal. And then they look tired, yeah. but you know, we hear them complain, man, I hardly slept at all last night. What are some things we could start to poke around and have those conversations in there to really open the door, so to speak, to step in and start to intervene? Absolutely. The first piece is just being an active observer. You know, what, whatever your role is in your organization, if you're a manager, a supervisor, a boss, just being observant to the general hum and behavior and flow of the people, it's very easy then to then pick out the nuances. One of the things that I like about the counseling field is there's a saying that you can't know yourself by yourself. And so one of That's the things good. that you can do is run the risk run the risk of offending somebody by just saying, hey, you know, I noticed that, you know, you don't really seem to be yourself lately. You seem to be a little bit more on edge or more quick to like, you know, respond a little more edgy, like, you know, is anything going on? Anything I could do to help or do you want to talk about it? 
And then, you know, they, that gives them that invites the door for them to talk about it if they feel safe or to dismiss it and move about their day. So pointing out those little nuances. And then if you directly supervise people, I like to have that conversation at just pointing out any noticeable changes in their behavior or attitude or functioning and just check in and say, hey, how you doing? Talked about this some yesterday, Mike, because, you know, from a, from a safety standpoint of things, too, we often know injuries occur because of a lot of different causal factors. And one of them is this human error. And we're bringing all these stressors into the workplace. So being an effective leader and effective safety manager is also about understanding your people and building these people skills to interact with them, identify those issues and kind of have those check in points to say, hey, you seem a little off today. What's going on? Let's, you know, how's the family? Whatever it may be that lead in to have that conversation. But I think in this environment, you know, as leaders, we're expected to do that for our employees. You know, what are we doing for self checks on ourselves too? Because now we're, it's amplified, right? We have more emotions that we're going to have to manage on the floor and we have our own personal stressors happening outside of here. You got, it's political season, it's COVID season, it's holiday season. It's all just coming to this volcano right now. So what are some self-checks we could do for ourselves to make sure that we can be that effective leader? I think that's a great question. Would you like me to speak to that? Absolutely. Because I, I think, okay. you know, the stages of grief, I, I kind of, because I do this stuff and I have a social service aspect of my job, not just safety. I go through and I, I just pay attention to stuff because I would do support groups with our veterans and different things in our programming. So I kind of yeah. think about the, the emotional aspect a little more probably than the average person. I'm sure you're like that because you're in clinical counseling as well. And I'm, I'm sitting there and catch myself and I'm like, you know, forget all this. This thing ain't even real when COVID first hit. And I realized, and I, then, I, then I was like excited about it because I got to like, you know, well, I'll just do this and kind of made fun. And then after like the three week lockdown never ended, I started getting angry. And then it closed yeah. uh, the gyms down. I was like, you can't take my gym from me. That's my, one of my only outlets. It started clicking. I'm going through the stages of grief here. So yes, right. I think the biggest thing to overcome is probably that first stage in denial to really kind of accept, hey, I probably have some issues. So go ahead, Kelly. Yeah. So Nick, I, I, I appreciate you and Mike, the, the, the input that you have to share that it, it prompts me to think of a couple of things that are sometimes helpful to, to perform those self-checks. I have a saying that when we're teaching clients or, or clinicians that in general, people tend to sit with their stuff either too much or not enough. And so one of the first practical strategies that you can use for yourself is to know which one you are. Do you tend to sit with your stress, your grief, your anxiety, your depression, your overwhelm too much, or do you not sit with it enough? Because those are, that's going to be the first key to helping you figure out what to do. If you're somebody who sits with the stress too much or the depression or the grief or the anxiety, then we need to get into action. And if you're somebody who doesn't sit with it enough, then we need to take some time to do some self-reflection to understand, well, what are my stressors? What sources are they coming from? Are they coming from work? Are they coming from family? Are they coming from financial stressors? Are they coming from medical? Are they coming from lack of social connection? Where are my stressors? And then, then you got to kind of unpack it another step below to what do I need? What unmet need do I have? And how can I get it? And over time, you're never going to completely eliminate stress, but you will reduce unnecessary stress and you'll more adequately manage it when you do experience it. So it's almost like a ditch on both sides of the road, right? So in mm -hmm. one, you, you kind of go into depression and different things, and there's almost, almost like a numbness on both sides. Yes. But then in the other ditch, you can kind of go into disassociation, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, and, and just Avoidance. be oblivious to it and not have any compassion for anyone else going through it. Or not even yeah. yourself. You just, you become numb at both ends if I'm hearing you right. Absolutely. And so if you, for whether it's yourself or your staff, if you notice that they seem to be kind of flying by the seat of their pants, they're not really under noticing the changes that they're having in their behavior or attitude or performance, they might be somebody where you want to reel them in a little bit and kind of point that out and, and, and just make some observations. You don't have to make judgments or statements, but just, I noticed or I'm wondering, you know, with whatever you're observing. And then the other people who seem to be really stressed, really can't get themselves motivated to work on time to perform to make decisions we want to figure out what's weighting them down and then how can we get them into action yeah that's good because they're in those two ditches I've noticed there are people that go to that dark hole and, and I, I don't want to I don't mean to like put any kind of stigma out there but that's from my experience that that's what it felt like you kind of go into this place where you're not motivated to do anything and people are like stuck. get yourself in a bud and get yeah you're really stuck 
And then there's mm-hmm. the other side. It's you go through this whole process of like, man, a lot of people I, I've worked with personally that went through addiction do this. They get overproductive. They can't sit still. So they always have to have fiddle around the house, have a project. When they come home from work, if they're working, they're going to go out and do yard work all night because any time alone, they can't deal with what they're mm-hmm. feeling. It's almost like a defense mechanism. Correct. You experienced a lot of that? Absolutely. And it, uh, the, the clients and, and just people in general, we all range on, on a variety of, of that continuum. And so you definitely see that. And, you know, you see the people who cannot slow down, who cannot take a rest, who just always feel like they have to be completing something, accomplishing something that is adding to their stress. And so they have to recognize that accomplishing something such as a state of being and a state of rest is still productive. But that requires a reframe and a paradigm shift that doing nothing is actually allowing your body to physiologically calm down and come down a couple notches uh, towards homeostasis. Getting into all that action, sometimes it's nervous energy, and that may be actually making their stress impact on their body and their minds even worse. And uh, you mentioned reducing it, and I I think that's real important because whenever we talk about self-care, People are like, well, I heard it, heard it a thousand times. And it's like, well, you probably should be hearing it a thousand more the way you're hearing it. Because it's right. really not about one silver bullet or magic piece. Mm-hmm. You know, I find myself getting quiet time in the morning or reading or through prayer journaling, mm-hmm. whatever that is, quiet time. And it really helps me. And if I miss a day or two that, it doesn't affect me. But if I start missing it four or five days, I notice my irritation and frustration levels start to bubble up. Then I have another outlet working out or walking or getting outside and spending time outside and and exercising. So that's another aspect, but not one of those are a silver bullet. It's this may reduce it five or 10%. This activity may reduce it five or 10%. Hanging out with friends in person through the pandemic under 10, of course, I don't want to make sure we're in compliance is going to really (laughs) help reduce that. And and it's an overall layering effect, right? Of like, it's it's not like not having the goal is not having zero stress. It's doing small measures in different areas to kind of reduce that. Is that the goal you think? I think so. Absolutely. Because, you know, like we shared earlier, you're never going to completely eliminate stress, nor would you want to. Stress on the body strategically can actually be a good thing and it can help us motivate and use adrenaline to accomplish things. But the other piece of this is really recognizing what element of control we have when it comes to our stress, because there are actions you can take to control, to reduce, to, to control and to reduce stress. But then the other piece of it is really about controlling our attitude and our reaction to it. Um, and, and that sometimes doesn't have any action to take. So we just have to be aware of what's in our control and what is not. And sometimes that's the hardest part for people because people want solutions. They want it. They want things fixed. They want things to go away. You know, there's not like there's people that are into pain. That's their thing. But most of us don't want to feel pain. We want it to go away. But there are some things that we experience in life that are stressful that we just have to ride the storm. So just recognizing what you can control. I make fun of Tony Robbins all the time, but I, I saw a meme from him one time and it said, if you want to change uh, your life, change the way you think. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned that a few minutes ago about reframing how you view stuff. And actually not that long ago, I looked up that word attitude. You mentioned that too. So you look up attitude because we kind of just use it culturally like, Hey, enough of that dude kind of thing. And we kind of look at yeah. it as negative a lot of times, but really an attitude is really an expression of your belief system and how you mm-hmm. view everything. And so yes. when you kind of dig a little deeper in attitude, it's not just personality and yes. someone have a little edginess or whatever, but it's really your belief system and your belief system is what's framing how you view everything in your circumstances. And that's why we see a lot of times with loneliness, which actually I think it was around 37% of our members said they're, they're stressed in this time because of loneliness. So that's yeah. a big deal. Loneliness is not necessarily being alone. It's feeling alone and you can be surrounded by people. So that framework what do you encourage the people that you work with? How do you train them and kind of work with them to start to rebuild that framework in a more positive way that's going to help them through a process that they need to? That's a great question. And it <clears throat> it requires the individual to be able and willing to step back and take a look at what their belief system is. Like what what is their general thought process? Are they generally a positive, optimistic person? Are they generally more of a realist? Are they more of a negative pessimist? Or are they a catastrophizer? For instance, I definitely see that those who catastrophize 
are probably having the most difficult time during this p- pandemic. And especially the election. Yes. But the so last couple of days, they're like, the world's going to end from election, both sides. Right. You know, it's like it's 1999 all over again and the world's going to end, you know. <laughs> but but I say that, though, because there are some people who genuinely suffer from that, like, compulsive mind state that, you know, they there's this there's this one grain of stressor or incident or variable and they have this, it is a skill ability to like blow it up into the most magnificent impact that could possibly have. That is a skill. Um, if you want to make it positive, if you're in Hollywood, that'd be a great skill, but yeah, (laughs) unfortunately for everyday life, it causes a lot of stress. It more often than not catastrophizing brings on more unnecessary stress than it actually solves. And so we have to help people understand that that is their thought process, their pattern, and we have to help them bring it down. Like you can go there, but then you have to bring it down. And it's like, what is the real threat? What is the real problem? What can you do about it? What's in your control? And then what can we do about it in terms of attitude and how to approach it? It's definitely a couple part task in terms of getting them to be able and willing to sit and think about their own thought process, their beliefs, which then drive their behavior and their willingness to take a look at that and do something with it. Yeah, no, that makes sense because, you know, one of the problems though, and I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday too, is the stigma behind breaking down and expressing these feelings and looking at things differently because, you know, there's this stigma, uh, two stigmas that really exist. One of them is, you know, you just, you need to tough it out. You just push through it. It's, It's life. We don't, we don't deal with it. And the second stigma is, you know, related to that mental piece of, you know, hey, maybe I do need some type of help or I need to talk to somebody, but it's not like going to the doctor for high blood pressure. There's no stigma behind taking that pill, but there is yeah. for asking for that help or engaging in these these activities sometimes. So how do you start to lay that groundwork for your clients? So maybe some of our managers can start to lay that groundwork to recreate that culture and, and yeah. eliminate that stigma in the workplace. I really believe that's a great question, Nick, and I'm so glad that you asked it because it really, in order to fight stigma, it's going to take each one of us. It's going to take each one of us actually acknowledging to ourselves that we are all human beings and that we all are going to experience stress at various times in our life, some point in which they are going to knock us off of our feet. We are all going to experience something or several things in our lives that is going to knock us off our feet to where our usual bag of coping tricks is just isn't going to work anymore. And the more you humanize that, that you and I are no different. We're still humans. We experience stress. We experience loss. And that it gets to a point where even I need help, that, that I need somebody to help me help myself figure out what's wrong, what's really bothering me. What isn't working for me? And hey, is there something that you have that you could tell me that I didn't think of yet? Because I genuinely believe also that you want to encourage people that they innately know the answers to helping themselves. But it goes back to that saying that I had is we don't know ourselves by ourselves. And so normalizing that we need another human being on the other end to help us out. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't make there, that, that, that doesn't make anything wrong with us that we need somebody else to mirror us back so that we can understand ourselves. So I try to promote that from the very first contact with any clients and families. I try to normalize that from the very first contacts with any of my supervisees that we're human, that there are going to be tough times in our life, and that I encourage them that if it gets to the point where something just isn't working, just know that we all get to that point, and I'm happy to help in any way if they feel safe enough with me. Yeah, I know a lot of times when I work with people and even gone through this process myself to certain degrees is whenever we go through a hard time in life, it seems like whether that's real or perceived, mm-hmm. you know, because really to us, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter if mm-hmm. it's just how we're interpreting something or it's a real circumstance to get through. There's like this identity crisis that happens and it's yeah. and I'm not talking about gender identity or personality disorder and all those things are relevant. But I just mean it, they go through this formless and I say that because you probably know what I'm talking about, but the, but the people that don't understand it, we go through this like formless stage where I've had grown men come to me and like, I don't know who I am anymore. And, and it's like, hey, you just lost your job. And I, yeah. and I realize that literally we anchor our identities, don't we, in certain things. And to a, a person, an individual, whether a man or woman, anchors in work and then they lose their job in a pandemic, that causes, it's not just emotional, it almost causes an identity crisis because their identity was so anchored in that one thing rather than being anchored into multiple healthy things. And so 
when that one thing is shaken, it feels like the whole life is falling apart. I went through it. I was part of an organization 10 or 12 years ago when I, I was engaged. I wasn't married yet. And everything in my life was great. My career was starting to take off, getting a house, becoming a homeowner, getting a Jeep. All these cool things are happening <laughs> that I just wanted. I had a truck, I had a Jeep. I was like, this is great. And then I go through the whole, you know, I go through the whole process of this one part of my life was literally falling apart. It was a, a volunteer organization I was a part of, and it was chaos. Called my wife at the time, her fiance, I can't remember where we were at in that stage, but, and I'm like, I just, I don't want to do anything anymore. I don't, I want to take off. I'm going to get out. I went through, and yeah. she was a little tough on me. I was expect, expecting mm -hmm. her to be a little gentle, but she, <laughs> she gave me some perspective. And the perspective was, Hey, you got A, B, and C going for you. Why are you worried about this one thing? Why does it feel like your entire world's falling apart? And I'm like, dang, you're right. And so I kind of see this, the solution to what we go through. I almost see it as you were talking, you and Nick are talking, is like a pyramid with like three levels to it. So that first level is probably like self-care, right? Mm -hmm. We're by ourselves. We go to the gym. We take the dog out for a walk, get some sunshine, drink some water, whatever it is, get more sleep. And that's kind of the brunt of what we're going to be doing. The next level up, like you said, we can never know ourselves in isolation. So I'm a huge believer in that and, and community and, and support systems. So that support system, when what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, like you said, doesn't work, I should have people in my life or try to not toxic people. You know, I have yes. relatives that have been married five times and no, no offense to them and, and they'd be okay with me saying it but I'm not going to go to them for marriage advice because that's not a, that's not an area where they want in. You know what I mean? And not being judgmental. I'm just, I'm going to go to the old couple that's been around for, or the happy couple yeah. that I see like, Hey, you know, there's some here, give me some advice in this area. Or right. I, I'm going to go through whether that's fitness, marriage, any of that stuff. So that support system, like you're saying, just someone to say, Hey, what's going on? You know, I'm dealing with this. What do you think about this? And then there's a layer on top of that, which would be professional help. So walk us through that. At what point do we, you know, I think that's, that's the hard part for a lot of us is, okay, I've taken care of this stuff. It's been, it's worked. And like you said, it doesn't work anymore. So I go to a support system. Mm -hmm. How do we know to go from that second to that third thing of, you know what, maybe I need some professional help and go beyond just talking to my uncle Bob about whatever I'm dealing with or my mom or sister or however that, that looks. I, and go to the next stage. Like, you know what, this may be something I really need to professionally deal with. Absolutely. Well, if you're if you're really into solutions, the thing that I find exciting about counselors is that we're all like a box of chocolates, okay? So there's something out there for everybody, okay? And we have many different niches and areas of expertise. So if you have a specific problem or a specific stressor, there's experts out there that can literally help you solve that problem and support you through that process in much less time than it would be if you muddled it through yourself. So I, I always like to promote that to people of go seek an expert because they really are out there and they can help you. Um, it's exciting to me and it, and it doesn't have to wait until there's a crisis. Unfortunately, what I see with people, and this is just in general, people in general and definitely people in the workplace is they don't change until they learn enough that they want to or it hurts enough that they have to. Wow, so that's true. Yeah. And that's really a tough one, you know, because there's a lot of hurt that you can and pain that you could avoid if you could just educate people and learn enough and motivate people enough to change because they want to rather than waiting until it hurts so much that they have to. What ends up happening, unfortunately, for my industry is that many people who who take that first step that they might think that maybe they need professional help or that they're willing to have a professional help them with their problem is usually there's some kind of crisis. But if you want to take that step before there's a crisis, getting in, in touch with professional help is really easy and it's becoming easier now and uh, more and more with telehealth and teletherapy. It's making a phone call. It's, um, you know, calling up a mental health agency that's in your, in your community, that's on your insurance network. I wouldn't even worry about that because if you call the place, they'll help you figure out whether you're covered or not and what you have access to. So just just make the call or many places you can do a walk-in where, you know, with COVID, there might be some, some different parameters right now. But making a simple phone call, we get some basic demographic information from people and get them set up with a first-time appointment. And that first appointment is where we ask a bunch of questions to get to know somebody. What's the problem? What's hurting? What could we maybe help with? And then um, we're able to kind of nail down within an hour or less what it seems to be. And we give you some feedback and then we connect you to the available help. There's a continuum of help that can, 
that can help people. And we let them choose what sounds good to you. What sounds like, you know, that what, what might you be interested in having help with? And if they're not sure, then we tell our recommendation. We say, given this of what you said, here's this, this, and this that you could try that could help. Yeah. So I think I, I want to sit on this for a minute. You mentioned the second stage indirectly. I think you mentioned it of change mm -hmm. contemplation. Yeah. And I notice, like when I teach this and I'll, I do those, the classes that I've done pre-COVID going through there, I've noticed there's, it's, it's terrible. Cause you said it, there almost has to be a consequence for them to even, to even to get in the contemplative from the pre-contemplative stage. And yeah. like something happens, someone dies, you know, you see it at something funerals. Happens. I need to change yeah. my life or you get put on blood pressure medicine. Now you're like, now it's time to get in shape. And then, yeah. and then you get used to it. And it's really, but it's so difficult. Cause I've, I've tried to literally hundreds of people, I've tried to navigate through, I'm not a professional counselor, so I'm not doing any kind of therapeutic type stuff. So, mm -hmm. but just in that event of just say, showing them, Hey, you kind of started out initially motivated to avoid a consequence. And I'll draw like a little rectangle and then I'll split it down the side in half. And I'll say your first half, you start out was hundred percent motivated by consequence to avoid consequence. And now you're going through, you really need to transition this into a vision for your life. What do you really want at the end of this? You know, if it's addiction, okay, that's great to be sober, but that's not a life. That's not a vision for your life. That's just a part of a better life. So right. avoiding addictive, you know, how do we, and I don't want to stick on that, just an example that I've worked with in the past, but for anything, whether it's health, any kind of holistic approach we're trying to take from your experience, how do we transition from that motivation? Cause, cause it's, it seems like it's a process. You like to think, well, I just got to click. I'm going to change. I'm going to decide to change my mind and click. It doesn't work like that most of the time, but we go back, you know, I, I'm thinking of a diet that I started years ago and I lost like 40 pounds in a month and we're going to Applebee's after certain events with a bunch of friends and people are eating that, you know, desserts and stuff. I'm like, that doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me because I was so motivated to go through process whatever I was going through. And then when I lost the weight, I'm like, man, it don't hurt to put my shoes on no more. I was just kind of like, you know, make, make it funny fun about it but we're going to applebee's and they had this like chocolate thunder from down under thing i don't know it's got like brownies and ice cream and the devil i don't know what it is it's straight devil in food and uh and uh someone ate one in front of me and i just said i'm ordering one and uh, my wife's like what are you doing and i'm like listen I, I made it through that phase i'll get back on tomorrow and then it never happened right so we go through that all the time but how do we how do we transition from from your experience what's the most effective ways that you've seen people transition from their motivation being to avoid a consequence into, hey, I actually have hope now. I actually have a hope that my life could be better. I could be a homeowner. I could have yeah. my kids in my life, whatever it is that they're motivated by, but really transition into the positive side instead of trying to avoid the negative. Yeah. So what I see that is um, I boil it down to two things is you do, you start in that first motivation, like box, if you want to call it, of what is their greatest fear? And we move them from their greatest fear to their deepest desire. That's how I tend to work with clients um, or even supervisees is what is your deepest fear? That's usually what gets them in the door. And how is that fear manifested and how has that motivated them? But in order to get to more internal locus of control and internal motivation and this bigger picture for their life, you have to then shift their narrative. You have to teach them and help so them. Good. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, teach them and help them reframe their life narrative into a picture that is more, you have to paint that picture of their deepest desire. What does their ideal life look like? And you have to encourage them to go there. Some people will then revert back and, well, that's never going to happen because of, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it can. The, the power of the mind is a, is, is a magical thing. And if you help them along paint that vision and realize that there's steps to take and it is a process, that that life that they so much hold deep in their heart, each one of us have that, whether we care to admit it or not, it's down there. And if we acknowledge it and let it grow, it blossoms much bigger than the fear. And That's all the so things. good. This is brain science, right? Because you have a it part is. of your brain, literally it's like if I go to buy a Ford Focus – never see them on the street, but I go to buy them when I see them everywhere. They wow. didn't magically just appear because I went to go look at one. It's your brain now says, because you focused on this, you yes. paid attention to it. I'm going to pop these little, I call them pop-up ads, just like yeah. your Facebook <laughs> scroll feed, your newsfeed. You know, I was looking up a Jeep to buy a Jeep a year or two ago and, and literally every ad was a Jeep ad. So like your, <laughs> your, your conscious and subconscious mind works like that, right? So when you 
you focus on something. So that that's the magic of goals or having a vision is literally you put that in the forefront. So if you keep that in the forefront of your mind through a vision board, journaling, just remind yourself your goals or watch another people that operate in that you literally train and program your brain. Don't you to kind of, so when you go to make a decision, the pop-up ads become positive instead of negative. Yes. And there becomes a natural stopgap process that you're, you catch yourself because you're much more mindful of your big picture dream or vision. And then you, that's the real moment of change right there is when, when you grab it and you make the new choice that's headed towards your future, your future vision, as opposed to sabotaging yourself. That also shows that you've grown beyond your, your defense mechanisms, your self-sabotaging habits and, and idiosyncrasies. When you then can stay mindful and focused on what you're really after, because what you think about, you bring about. It sounds corny and cliche, but I mean, I can think of more than a handful of people just even in my personal life, what you think about, you bring about and whether you get into manifestations and the law of attraction, that's up to you or not. I personally get into that. We are really driven to go after and achieve what we set out for in our mind. So if it's to conquer and manage stress, then we can. So if we take this back to a business model, then, you know, uh, from a clinical model on both your sides, it, it makes a lot of sense. So I start to think of this both from a safety mindset and a, and a leadership mindset with inside of a corporation. You know, we know we've all been in those companies that were miserable to work for and really didn't do well. And we've been in those companies that were very successful. And I think a lot of that has to do with environment. It has to do with the tools we give our employees. And so as managers, how do we start to take some of these thoughts that you're having here and implement that into daily tools or daily environment success for our employees, not only for success of the business, but more success of the employees in creating an environment for them to succeed? You know, goal setting isn't always about setting goals for production. It's setting personal goals. How do I, as a manager, start to take some of these ideas you're sharing here and implement that in there so I can create that environment to help my employees grow and be healthy? That's a great question, Nick. And it starts with just like on an individual client level, it's really working with your managers to take a step back and look at their, what is their management philosophy? What are their management strategies? What is their general attitude and belief about managing and leading people? Because what you'll find when you unpack that is sometimes their own roadblocks. And if yes. they haven't, if they haven't navigated their own roadblocks and their own defeating belief systems and practices, you know, there's an old expression that you can only take somebody as far as you've gone. So if you have people in management and leadership, they may only be able to take an individual so far. And so depending on how your organization is structured and organized, something that's a practical strategy is having a management team that is willing to help one another in their strength areas because you and I both have different strengths as managers and leaders and we have different areas of challenge for us. So if we know ourselves, what our philosophy is, what our strategy, who we tend to help the best, but who we struggle with, when you use a team collectively, that's how you can leverage the power of your management team to really elevate. And when you elevate like that, you elevate your managers, you elevate your staff, you elevate your company, you elevate your productivity and you elevate the company's bottom line. That's important right now because with so much going on, I think we need as companies to start more focusing in on some of these softer skills, A, to survive the pandemic, but B, because ultimately nobody wants anybody to get hurt. Everybody wants everybody to be happy and healthy. You know, the worst thing is having miserable employees. So we need to start looking at this and creating and maybe thinking a little bit differently about how we run our businesses and how we create these environments of success for them. And it takes time, you know, unfortunately, or however you want to label it, to having those conversations and unpacking that. And there's a lot of people that would argue that they don't have the time, but I promise it's a short-term sacrifice for long-term investment. Because when you, when you have that positivity, like I just read an article, like, you know, you can't force positive work culture. It's really something that each one of us generate within ourselves. And then it, it like spreads you know, that that's how we cultivate that. And it comes from time, taking time with ourselves, time with our employees, taking time with one another, but just making sure that that time is meaningful and targeted on what we're after. Absolutely. I'm a Bridges Out of Poverty trainer. Yeah. And we that. did 
we did Getting Ahead years ago uh, in Portage County through a program we called Empower Portage. And one of the exercises that they had us do with the program was we would take like a, a poster board or, or pieces of paper and we would, you know, kind of mark it out in different sections. And we would have each individual participant say, the first one would be like, what's it like now? And sometimes we include a past, like what was it like growing up? And then be, what is it like now? What's life like now? And what do you want your future story to be? And that's the language they use was your future story. So you, you see them kind of understand the past, but you're trying to help them navigate through. Okay, so you're in the present moment. It doesn't look so hot for you now. But what do you want your future story to look like? Mm-hmm. Just don't even write it in a list. Draw a picture. And they would have, you know, some will have a dog in a house. And mine always had a beach in it every time I did it. I don't know why that is. <laughs> oh. But, <laughs> but uh, that, that's my happy place. So, like, we – but. What you're saying is you would go through there and a lot of times what's crazy is when I see people that struggle and they're in, a, they're in the middle of the process and it doesn't matter where they're at, um, the economic scale, or income or any of that is mm-hmm. literally when they're going through the process and they've been through some stuff, I, I could literally draw, I used to take the dry erase board and, and draw some lines and I would put past, present, and future. Sometimes I would put past, I would split it up between your early childhood and then your recent past, you know, like. You know, if I'm working with someone in the shelter, I would say, what was it like growing up? And what was it like just before you got here? Because some people had a great childhood, but their adult life was a mess. And then other people like me, we had a messy childhood, but then the other part wasn't so bad. So you go through that and, I, and I, would, I would go through, what's it like now? And you see, they could explain the past paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. Mm-hmm. They can even explain the present, but then it kind of gets down a little more. Then I would say, hey, what, what do you want out of the future? And it was like crickets. And I started to realize, wow, they're literally, a lot of them, their mentality is stuck in the past. Some of them are just trying to hang on for the present moment. Very few people that are going through serious life crisis can even process the future. So just to tell someone, hey, just make some goals for yourself and smile. That works for us, but it doesn't work for if you're going through that mess to try to get them to see that. Because I'll try to explain it to them. It was real difficult. The one I did was I started going around the room like, Hey, tell me your life story in 10 seconds. <laughs> we'll go around the room. And then they'd be like, you know, I'm, I'm seven years old. I'm an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. I'm like, okay, let's look at every item you just told me in 10 seconds. We're going to mark it past, present, or future. Okay. You're, the, you're an alcoholic present. Okay. Your dad was an alcoholic past. Your grandpa was past. And you start going through there and you didn't say zero, zero at the future. You didn't say anything about your future. Your mind, your mentality is actually a story that you inherited and you're just mm-hmm. continuing on the present moment. Do you see how you're thinking? And I start to use yeah. tools like that and then they go, I never realized I did that. But like, mm-hmm. hey, and that's okay to, to, to look at your past and understand what you've been through and what you're struggling now is healthy. You, you know, you put a line there, put a line here, but let's get some more lines in the future to kind of lead you out through that pathway. And it, it seemed like it really affected a lot of people, but literally a lot of times when we go through that, we go to that formal stage and that little identity crisis, we get stuck mm-hmm. through a circumstance of what we're happening in, and that kind of paralyzes, doesn't it? It does. And I think that we, we experience that in the organizational level. You know, I noticed a long time ago that, and this is just through no fault to its own. It's just that in companies, you tend to, you have your vision forward, but we get overloaded with everything that is happening, the challenges, the stressors that, and before you know it, your head starts to tilt down and you're just kind of like you're with your analogy of the past, present, and future. You're just like stuck looking at what's immediately in front of you. But when it comes to promoting, managing stress and, 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 you know, functioning on a higher level and and being more well, um, we have to look up and out you know, as a team, you know, we have to be able to address the issues that are right in front of us. But going back to Nick's question about how can we as as employers and managers, we have to always help each other as managers and supervisors and, and whichever, you know, level you're on, that we lift our heads up and then we look out and paint that vision forward because that helps the stress level of the organization as a whole so that they don't get stuck. It like pulls them along. Does that make sense? No, it does. I'm thinking of the future story. I remember working at Walmart when I was like 18 or 19. I was a young mm-hmm. kid and had, has a really bad rep since then. But working there <laughs> as a kid, it was really eye-opening because they took the founder, principles from the founder, Sam Walton, and literally they, they did it all through computers. So it was kind of boring. But 
they literally <laughs> called it the Sam Walton way. And I don't know if they still use that or not. I have no idea, but that was, you know, 20 some years ago. So I'm in there and I'm, I'm going through the process, but they, they refuse to call an employee an employee. You're an associate. And the, but it wasn't just like a title. They, when you went through your training, they're like, you're an associate because you're, you're part of this. You're part of the family. This is a family kind of thing. And they, they went, so it made you feel like you actually belonged. And literally some of the, you know, we were in college at the time and some of my uh, college buddies that were there also, we would talk about, Hey, it's a Sam Walton way. And we kind of laugh about it, but it really kind of inspired us and really thought we were part of something more than just a, and a number, you know, getting, you know, stock on the shelves or doing whatever. And so there is that piece. I think you create a vision for your company and you really make people feel like they're part of it. And I think, you know, when you engage employees and let them, we know this was safety, right? Nick, you tell me how you do your job safe for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Even if they give you a terrible answer, that's totally wrong. It's, it's irrelevant to me because what's really happening is you're building a circle of trust. You're engaging them and they're feeling a part of the team like their voice is heard. Even if you don't necessarily use the idea because it may not be good. The bigger thing is you develop that, make them feel they're part of the family and that they have a voice in there. And it starts to, okay, you have a broader vision of the company, but now they find their place with it under that umbrella and they latch onto it. And we've discovered, and all three of us know this, if people enjoy the people they work with, they'll do terrible jobs. They won't leave and you don't have to give them a million dollar raise every year to stay. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of people that pump money into employees, a lot of times because they have such a toxic culture, no one to stay. Yeah. And I'm not saying you should pay people low ages. Heaven forbid right. that. But, but what I'm saying is literally when people feel part of the company and a lot of times that's based on that relationship with their frontline supervisor and their coworkers. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said that, Mike, because it made me something made me think of something that I wanted to share. That when you think of the global management of stress, you know, we as human beings are capable of experiencing and overcoming a, an incredible amount of stress and and things in our life. But when people have purpose and connection, they're able to overcome. And so, you know, that's another practical strategy that's that when we work with that when we work with people is, you know, maybe what's really at the bottom is an existential crisis of they feel like they don't have a purpose or they don't have quality connection. And so if, if they're willing to explore that in a safe level, either with you or somebody else more appropriate, having purpose and connection really can overcome a lot of stress. It actually, I mean, just like hugging, hugging for 20 seconds, not that we're going to hug our employees, but if they can get a hug from somebody, it physiologically reduces stress. So just, you know, being mindful of the, the elements of purpose and connection definitely help people with stress as well. If I'm an employee and I'm struggling, or if I'm just a person, because some people may watch this and may not, you know, even be working or their employer may not give it to them. What do I do? You know, that baseline of the, the pyramid we talked about, what are some self-care things that you recommend? Even just some generic ideas. What are some things you recommend just to take care of ourselves first? And then we'll go into talking about how we can develop sports systems and that, and then go back into the professional help blend with that. So what can we do that first level there? What are some self-care kind of things that we could do to start overcoming stress and just bring some more happiness and value to our life? The first strategy that I always encourage people to do is to find some time, whether it's even 10 minutes in their day, and start to develop a, a regular self-reflection practice. That's really hard for people, but again, it goes back to you can't know yourself unless you sit with yourself and, and you got to work with somebody <laughs> yeah. else, you know, but spending time to self-reflect, if you don't slow down and really take an inventory of what is going on with you, what is stressing you and where it's coming from, you cannot reach, you cannot get to the part of adequate, efficient strategy. So the first part is self-reflection time sitting quietly with yourself and asking yourself pointed questions. The other thing that I suggest that people do, and you can do this with employees as well, is having them look at the domains of their lives. I mentioned this earlier. You know, when you break out any individual's lives, we all have the similar domain. We have our work life. We have our family life. We have our medical or health well-being. We have our financial life. We have our... Um, our social life or community life, and then you may have a spiritual life. I'm sure I'm forgetting some other domain, but you get the sure. gist. So I always encourage people to write things down. You know, some people really have a hard time with that, but I promise there's a lot of power in the pen. So get out a piece of paper during your self-reflection time, write out those domains of your life, then take some time looking at each of those domains. What areas in your life are causing the most stress? You circle them. I mean, this can be as elementary. It doesn't have to be rocket science. 
you circle them and then you take a look at, you unpack each of these. What is stressing me in these, in these areas of my life? So a lot of getting to solution is first understanding the problem. I should say that. Mm -hmm. um, so adequate time, understanding the, the problem and its source. And then when you start to, to identify what areas of your life are stressful, you then have to take another column and you have to look at what do you need from that area of your life that you may not be getting. And so you have to acknowledge to yourself that, you know, if there's an unmet need in your family domain, is there just not enough time and connection that you're getting and that's stressing you out? You're feeling lonely, you're feeling isolated. Well, then how can you meet that need? And then that leads you into the solutions that are particular for you. So it's all an unpacking exercise. Sometimes when people go to a counselor, they, they present with a problem and a counselor may then rattle off a variety of solutions that they can try. And the client may or may not be willing to <clears throat> try the solutions or if they do and they don't work, they try one and it doesn't work and they immediately write off the clinician's expertise or that anything is going to work and they're back to it. That's why I always encourage people to do this work themselves to take ownership of it, that deep down you have the answer for this. So do the work. Then the next piece is you need to be able to, after you identify what you need, you need to then look at how can you get those met. And sometimes, and when it comes to stress, reducing or managing stress, I have another saying called, you need to look at where your stress at is at and what can you automate, what can you delegate, and what can you eliminate. Because there are many things in our lives that can be automated, and that takes some stress off of us. There are things that can be delegated that perhaps you can ask for help and somebody else can maybe help you with them. Or you can, there's even a level of delegation where you may delegate that to like the end of the list. It's not a priority right. to deal with now. So there's a skill here in also prioritizing what we need and how to get it and what we work on first. Because you can't work on everything at once either. And the people that are overly stressed are probably doing that. <laughs> um, That's good. Then, I, let me come in there because I, I liken it to a garden hose. <laughs> Seriously, I take, I take my water hose and if I put it on spray, it doesn't get anything done. It just, it just gets a little bit of water everywhere. But if I need to strip my deck, I need, I need to put it on the jet stream. And if you look at that, one has like 90 jets, one has like five or six. And what, what happens is I notice whenever I get frustrated or stressed, I have a thousand thoughts racing through my head, like a beehive sitting on my head. And when I could just simplify that down to one to three things max, let me work on one. I may have all these other things I need done. Let me focus on one or two things now. The overwhelmed feeling that, I, you know, feeling overwhelmed, all the different stuff, a lot of the anxiety starts to just go. And then now I feel energized because I'm not giving my energy away to useless thoughts about no. things I can't control and do all at once. But that one or two things, what I do is I refocus the energy in one or two things and actually becomes more effective in that process. So that's real good. Just because for sake of time, we're almost out of time. And because uh, I, I mean, each one, everything you're saying, we could spend an hour on and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you'll come back on in the future. We can do more of this. But uh, just second thing real quick, because I think this is a big struggle. And, and just take like 30 seconds or no more than a minute to kind of talk about it. But in that second level, when what we're doing to take care of ourselves doesn't work, but we're not yet ready to go to the professional help, that second level of support systems, what are some tips? How do we develop those support systems? How do we discover the right person to talk to within that? You know, not a toxic person that's going to make us more depressed if we talk to or lead us down the, or give us bad advice. But how do we have a healthy support system? How do we identify that? Yeah, I think what helps people find truly helpful, because sometimes help can hurt, what helps people find truly helpful support system people in a natural support system is, believe it or not, finding people that are like them, that can genuinely relate to the particular struggle that they are in. And at the same time, though, that person has the ability to provide validation and empathy for you. So what differentiates a, a helpful natural support person in that section is somebody who can not make it about them and not go into their own stuff, but somebody right. who can, <laughs> gotta watch them. That's usually why you end up with a counselor because we don't go there is, you know, a person that really is in your, can relate to your unique circumstance and can provide you some validation and empathy. Who has your best interest at heart? They can, they can be there to listen. Yeah. Someone, you know, that's not going to judge you that you can trust. 
That's good. Absolutely. And one more um, time, and I know you answered this earlier, but what do we look for? When we go to that thing, you know, okay, I went to my mm-hmm. support system, maybe helped a little bit, but it didn't really help me get that breakthrough I'm looking for. Yeah. I don't I feel uncomfortable with it. But how do we pick a counselor? How do we begin to move into professional help without fear of not only that stigma, but like, you know, I don't even, I've never done this before and I don't know how to navigate this world. What are some tips that you would give those people that are looking to take that next next step into professional help? I really, I love to go back to the the medical field analogy that is if you have a, a pain point or a wound, if you will, and you've tried all the first aid self-care that you can do at home and it's just not working. When you look at your mental or emotional life, if you've done your first aid and your self-care and it's just not working, that's when you need to consider, or we'd like you to consider, we invite you to consider a professional that can help you tie that wound up and take care for it. Really, professional help is for the people who really need some expert guidance and feedback on what their challenge is, a targeted strategic plan and path to eliminating it or helping it that can support you along the way. We're neutral third-party people that help you problem solve, come up with a plan and support you along the way. If you're not getting that from your support system, we're it. That's good. So Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. This was really good for our employers. And that's, that's what we're focusing on here. How can we help Portage County? How can we help employers identify what we can change in our business models? And what can these employees who are listening to do to help them through these stressful times? So we appreciate your time today. Is there any program you want to promote out there, clinical services or any of your Zoom webinars that you're doing? Yeah. So I, you know, uh, family and community services, Valley Counseling, we serve Trumbull County and Mahoning County, a variety of great clinicians that help with children, families, adults. We have a wonderful program. I'm supervising a school-based mental health program. We're out there to help your kids and the and the families and the parents out there navigate the school year. That's one thing. Um, my clinical consultant gig that I do, I love to provide professional development training to clinicians and even outside industries. Surprisingly, most of my clients have been from outside industries looking for a clinical expert to come in and share strategies of how to address safety, de-escalation, motivation self-care goal setting. I love to do that. And then I I love to work with one-on-one motivated individuals. So, and that's my personal professional effort in reducing the stigma is that if you want to work with a one-on-one with a clinician with clinical background to help yourself achieve another level of functioning and well-being, I like to work with you. So I like to work with teams who like to elevate their, their themselves as well. So I invite you to check out, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. I have a website, kellybakoyunkinsconsultant.com. Feel free to look me up and I like to do this kind of stuff. So I'm always I'm always interested to promote mental health and, and well-being. Kelly, thank you again. This is awesome. Everybody out there, thank you for listening. Be safe. Yes, bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.